Welcome to our weekly Umi Weekly Wednesday Night Shir, the Nishmas Aaron Baruch Halevi, Yudha Halevi, and Amelia Basara. Shalom. If there are Nishamas, have Aliyas, and the Schus, the Lima that we're going to learn this evening, should stand in their stead. Is it cold? <laughs> Thanks. This week we have again to Pashas, Achimais and Kedoshim. And we know, of course, the uh, famous line, Achimais, Kedoshim, Emer, that after a person dies, then we start saying how Kedoshim, how holy they were. We tend to sometimes forget during the lifetime of a person their true values and what they're really worth. But the fact is, though, and the person that's living needs to take to heart, to heed um, the message of the deceased. And therefore, as well here, one needs to take the message that the deceased has for him, for her, and to live with it, and to strive with it, and thrive with it, and see to it that they're families and children, grandchildren, etc., continue in the way of peace, of love, tranquility, and devotion, dedication that the person had. Um, that starts with Kedoshim, not, not starting with Kedoshim. Um, This is also in condition. Okay, let's go to Achrei Meis, of course. Achrei Meis, we've spoken many, many times. The death of the sons of Aaron, of Aaron the greatness of Aaron how he accepted the passing of his children. We're also going to discuss Merchim Pekiavis and a little bit of Sech Seita. as we go throughout the weeks of Svira, with Mesech Pekiavis every week, every Shabbos, and every day Adaf in Seita. Medesh tells us numerous times about the passing of Nodav and Aviyum, children of Aaron. What did they do? They went into the Holy of Holies. Now we spoke about it recently. In Shemini, we talked about their passing itself. We spoke with the Machlekes, the Rezer of Rishmol. Here we're talking about what was the actual sin. A sin that they committed... They went into the Holy of Holies, which was permitted, which was off, due, off limits for them. Also, Madish tells us, they worked, they did a service in the Mishkan Mechusari Begodim. They weren't wearing the garments that they had to wear as prescribed for a Kayan. In addition to that, Lehayu Lehembanim, they did not have any children. In addition to that, they did not marry. A slew of sins that they committed officially. What connects these four sins? Going into the Holy of Holies, lacking the garments they needed to wear, not having children, not having married. In the Pasuk itself, we see a double standard here, a double type of Lashen. says, after the passing of the two sons of Aaron, and then the Pasuk finishes off and says, and they passed away. They passed away, and they passed away. In the same Pasuk, you're telling me twice they passed away. We know they passed away. Wide repetition of Ayamusu, and they passed away. In addition, 
we need to understand who these two sons of Aaron were. In essence, they were actually two great, great tzaddikim. Two very righteous men. And if you give me a score at home, there's a Gemara in Mesech, the Zvachim Kufte Zvav, Amit Beis 115, side 2, that talks about it. How great these two people were. What was this grave sin that the punishment was punishable by death, capital punishment? What really was this grave sin that they committed? They didn't marry. They didn't have children. Which in essence was one thing. If they didn't marry, they obviously are not going to have children. Why get punished on a twofold on that? They went into the Holy of Holies. Okay, now that's a no-no. And we know that that's punishable by capital punishment. But the others, how does this cause this this punishment? Let us explain this according to the way Chassidus explains this in a mimer of the Friedrich Rebbe Tavrish Memtes starts Achrein Beis. According to the explanation, the death, the passing of Nadav and Aviyu was because they were such holy, righteous people. They had a tremendous burning flame and fervor within themselves. A tremendous yearning for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for the Almighty. And it brought them to a level of what's called Kalis HaNefesh. We spoke about this before. Their Nishamas left them. Their souls left their bodies. Just from the great yearning to join and to be one with the everlasting Almighty God. It shows how great they were. It shows what kind of tremendous level they were at. Their tremendous love to God. They were in love with the one above. But in essence... They committed a sin with this. They're wanting to attach themselves so greatly with God until Kalesh Hanefesh, till their soul leaves, is not the prescription that God prescribes. This is not what God asks of us to do. We are not asked to be angels. We are asked to be human beings. Basar Vadam. When the Almighty created the world, He created it with the purpose of to make the Almighty's dwelling here on this world. In other words, the neshama needs to find itself in the guf, the soul needs to find itself in a physical body. In this world. Take physical world and turn it into spirituality. Doing mitzvahs with a mundane lemon, an esrig. Doing mitzvahs with the palm branch, the lulav, the myrtle, and the willow, who's sitting alone on their shelves, or sitting alone on their trees, or in the field, are not something that we walk by and we kiss, like a mezuzah. They have nothing to them. When the Jew takes them and puts them together, and holds them together and makes a bracha, he elevates this physical, worldly item, and turns it into a mitzvah. So much so, that this very lulav, with his adasim and his arovis, according to the customs, because a bracha was made on it for eight days, seven days, is kept until Erev Pesach, where it's burnt. 
with the Chametz. And it's a wonderful, interesting sight that you see. They make, when they, generally the neighborhoods, they make fire for people to come burn their Chametz. And everybody's coming with their bag of Chametz and their Lulav. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful sight to see how the people so endear the mitzvah that they make sure to keep this lulav a half a year in the house. Kudos to the wives. They allow it to stay in the house for a half a year. Wow. Good for them. But bottom line, this is what the tachlis, this is what the purpose of the world is. The physical body should complete with the neshama within it a service to cause God's and to make God's dwelling place in this world. To purify it. To elevate it. To change its essence until it's actually a vessel for the Almighty. Kaleit HaNefesh <coughs> means the running, the, the fleeing of the entire mission. And taking and grabbing a Kaddish Baruch and just running with it. It's wonderful. But it's not the mission. And therefore, the children of Aaron's action was actually committed, it was actually considered a sin. Now we understand They came before God and they died. The word Vayamusu is not a result. This is the essence of their sin. The children of Aaron sinned with this that they came forth before God until Vayamusu, until Kaleis HaNefesh. So now we find the common denominator between all the reasons that the Medrash brings down. They went in lifnai v'lifnim. They went up too high. They took the ladder and they went up and they didn't stop going up. They were lacking garments. Garments represent mitzvahs. Yes, they did mitzvahs. Yes, they studied Torah. Yes, they did wonderful things. But they didn't utilize it to its utmost so much so that they left behind everything they left their nevushim the nevushim, the soul the garments of the soul which is the mitzvahs and this they did by leaving the world the physical world they weren't married and they did not have children also shows how they did not complete the actual mitzvahs that they needed to be needed for in this world. They refrained from physical, worldly issues and missions. And therefore the passing of the children of Aaron teach us a very, very strong lesson. Every Jew has his times, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, where they can meditate, they can elevate their souls, they can bring themselves to a very, very high level. Some take it on a Thursday night, where they sit and they meditate, and they go through and they think through, and they put together everything that they've done all week. person needs to remember when they have these tremendous tremendous yearnings they need to come back down to the world they need to apply this to physical mitzvahs mm-hmm. to purify, to elevate to elevate 
the physical, mundane, lively world to a holy and a reason for its existence in this world. And to turn it over so much so that it's fit to house the Almighty. There's much to talk about the children of Aaron and their passing. But it's not the message of the Pasha. The Pasha tells us the reason that the Pasha mentions this, and it's ironic because the truth to be told, the Pasha is called Achrimais. It's called after this happening, after this terrible tragedy, the passing of the children of Aaron. That's the name of the Pasha. But yet, the message of the Pasha is a total different one. Although we just discussed the message of what we take from the passing of the children of Aaron, but the essence of the Pasha comes to a different different track. And we see this in the first Rashi. Rashi tells us, Susan, why does it say Why could it just not have been that the Almighty told this Tzivoy and the Kahanim cannot drink wine when they serve them in the base of English? Why is it relevant to us that it was after the passing of the two sons of Adam? And Rashi says, Moshul Le He brings a Moshul, a parable an example of an ill man, a sick man, and he goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, don't eat cold, don't lie in damp places, be careful of all these different items. And the truth to be told that the Rashi itself is what to elaborate on, on the way the examples are brought down, but we're not going to go into that now. So this man goes home and says, okay, the doctor told me not to eat anything, not to drink cold things, not to lie in wet damn places, not to sleep cold, but I hear you. But I'm thirsty. And a cup of coffee, a cup of tea doesn't thirst my, doesn't quench my thirst. I need something good to drink. I need a good bottle of pop. A good Coke, a cold Coke. Diet, of course. Who would think it different? I need something powerful, powerful to drink. Then he goes to another fellow goes with the same illness to a doctor. And again the doctor prescribes the same thing for him. And this fellow, this doctor was different though. He says you shouldn't drink anything cold. You shouldn't lie anywhere damp. Anything cold, anywhere cold. I just want to tell you, as we say in today's wonderful world of social media, FYI, um, that Mr. Jones, he had the same illness. He died from it. Because he was not careful about what he drank, where he slept. Let me ask you, my friends, honestly. Who's listening to his doctor? Who's going to say, Ah, you you put it out very, very profoundly, doctor. If that's what the situation is, and is really, it could, God forbid, cause the... Ho, 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 I'm staying away from that. So obviously, it was more impressionable. Tells us the Tata. This was told to the Kahanim, and they were told that very careful you must be about this because this happens after the passing of the two sons of Aaron who passed away because of this action. This is a message which Rashi imparts to us, the Parsha imparts to us, and therefore the name 
remains Achri Meis to give us a life lesson in how we need to be careful with each and every mitzvah not to God forbid end up in a situation as such. First 34 Psukim talk about the Kedish Kedoshim. Time when they can go in, the experience, the detail of the Kain Godel, the high priest in the Holy of Holies. And the high priest was separated, he was sanctified so that he can go in on this day of Yom Kippur to the holiest place in the world on the holiest day of the, world, of the year. So we understand, of course, that we read this Pasha and the Teda in order to inspire us. Us as individuals, we are taught to strive to be holy. And we find this in the name, as we just mentioned, Achari Meis. Because the words Achrimais refer to after the death of. And this is conveyed to Mesha Mitzvahs recorded in this Pasha after the death of Nadav and Aviyum. The Rachayim HaKadosh and also the other Chsidisha Memorim, etc. As we just discussed, that their yearnings were very, very high. They were mocking themselves for God. There is what to reach, there is what to strive for. But the next parasha, connected to it, which we're going to talk about, is Kedoshim Tihiu. You should be holy. For I, Hashem, your God, am holy. This teaches us that the level that the Jew needs to strive to reach and to achieve is limitless. Because one needs to derive from the holiness of God. And we know the holiness of God is truly infinite. Therefore, after Achri Mais comes the Pasha of Kedeshim. To teach us that you've reached seems the spiritual ceiling for a human being. There's still more work to done to be done and greater holiness to achieve to aspire for and to attain. We cannot be complacent. We cannot say to ourselves, I've accomplished, I've done. I've conquered, I move on. And this, therefore, explained in Pashat Kedeshi. Before talking about the Arayas, people that you're not allowed to marry, Tell them, I am God, your God. And Rashi explains, Ani Hashem Aleikeichem, Ani Husha Marti B'Sinai am the one that said to you, in Sinai Neche Hashem Aleikecha, V'kibaltem Aleichem, and you accepted upon yourselves, Malchusai, my kingdom, Me'at Akiblu Gzereisai, and now I ask you to accept my decrees. Ironically, the words Ani Hashem Aleikechem we find many times in the Torah. And Ashi doesn't go to such an in-depth explanation to it. Like he does in our Pasha. In our Pasha itself, Es Mishpatei Tasu Es Chukesei Tishmeru Lalechez Bahem Ani Hashem Aleikechem And Ashi says nothing. 
So the Chayda, Rashi already explained the beginning in Pashas Va'eda in Shemais. And there he says, Vedabra Likim, Amesha Vayem, Elovani Hashem, where he says, I am God. And Rashi explains there, Ani Hashem, Neman Lashalam Schar, Tev, Damas Halchim, Lefonai. I am known, I am believed, I am trustworthy to pay reward, proper rewards, good rewards for those that believe in me. Those that work, that serve for me. And this we find it mentions many times in Yashem Neman I am believed to pay back. When it talks about punishment, I pay back the punishments as well. If you said desecrate God's name, I am God. And when he says by keeping mitzvahs like a shmart and here he gives reward, here he gives punishment. So we see the words Ani Hashem are explained many times. Ani Hashem Alekechem, Rashi is taken to a whole different level now. With a whole different explanation. I am the God that said to you, Ani Hashem Alekechem, you received my, my Malchus, and from now you have to receive my decrees. Why? The words Ani Hashem and Elikechem come to stress the importance of doing mitzvahs. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the strength and the guarantee that He will pay for those that do and those who go against. He'll punish and He'll pay. And many places the potato talks about the certain mitzvahs and the rewards or to restrain ourselves from doing certain things, refrain from doing certain things. And again, the Pasuk says, Ani Hashem. Therefore, you need to be very careful to do my mitzvahs. Why? I am, you can believe that I'm going to punish, and you can believe I'm going to give reward. So therefore, we go back to our Pasuk, and we have the question, Ani Hashem Alekechem, why is it different than all the other times? And to say a whole different off-the-tracks explanation. Generally, Ani Hashem, especially with Alekechem, comes at the end of the Tzivu, you have a commandment. To show the sincerity and the importance to put an exclamation mark on the mitzvah. Ani Hashem. I believe to give schar, give to payback. Even in places that it starts in the beginning of the Indian, it still comes out to stress and to put the exclamation point. We don't have that in our case here. The words in Hashem Alekechem come in the beginning of this whole story. Before it talks about the whole commandment, it says, Ani Hashem Alekechem. So we have to understand, what is this whole warning on a commandment we didn't hear about yet? We don't even know what we're being warned about. So Rashi therefore explains that in our case, these words are not the same. But they're an, an entity for its own. HaKadosh Baruch comes and he says to the Am Yisrael, Ani Hashem Aleikeichem, I am God your God. And we found already in the Aseris Adibris prior, in the first time in Pashat Yisrael, where the Almighty says, Anechi Hashem Aleikeichem, the first of the Ten Commandments, Hashem Tzichem Eretz Pesayim Besavadim, and HaKadosh Baruch lets the Jews know about his Malchus, his being the king. And Rashi explains, Kedai hi Yitzah, you were servants till now to the Egyptians, now you have to be servants to me. And you have to accept the Malchus of Hashem, the rules and the kingship of God, and do all his mitzvahs. 
But we don't understand. It's not understandable. After he already told, like Hashbar already told about his Malchus to Bnei Yisrael, and he says, Anei Hashem why does he have to add Anei Hashem What addition is he adding here? There's something that, in addition to something that he already said in the Asaras Libras, the Ten Commandments. So therefore, Rashi explains, you accepted my malchus. You accepted my kingship. Now I'm adding that you also have to accept my decrees. Whoops. When we stood in Hasinai, And we accepted, but they still accepted the Taylor, they accepted the Malchus of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They were there to be Mekai in the Mitzvahs. But they are only going to accept Mitzvahs that make sense. That common sense dictates. Therefore, before HaKadosh Baruch comes and talks to us about the different Arayas, about the different people that one is not allowed to marry, that one is not allowed to live with, there you are. Which is a Gzeda, a decree, against Seichel HaAnushi, against common knowledge. He first puts out to warn the Jews on accepting my gzeris. In a general way, Ani hu shemati b'sinai. I am the one that said in Sinai, Anei Hashem Alekechem. Anei Hashem Alekechem. And you accepted my malchus. And now I want you to accept also my decrees. All the mitzvahs that were in the form of gzeris. Also as chukov. Mitzvahs that have no reasoning to them. But even a chuk, a chuk is strong, but a gzeda is even stronger. And we see different things that happen with the Arayas, different things in Taylor that people married, sisters like Yaakov, etc. So we see in essence that there were mitzvahs for such things as well, but all in time were before the Gzeda of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But very interestingly, Pasuk says, In the beginning of Kedoshim, Kedoshim to you. Rashi tells us, Melamed teaches us, This parasha was said in the year of Hakel. Hakel, the year after Shemitah, after Shemitah. And the Kayin, the Kayin HaMashiach, sat and read from a Teda. And all the Eden came together. Noshim, Anoshim, Anoshim, Etaf. Mepnei, Rashi says, why the Dafke this parish was read in Hakel? Most of the essence of Teda, not is found here, is pending in here. In this parsha, many mitzvahs are pending. Not only many, but most mitzvahs are pending. How can you say that? Kedushim only has a certain amount of mitzvahs in it. There are 613 mitzvahs, and you don't have a majority of the 613 mitzvahs mentioned in Pasha Kedushim. Cheder, in this state, in the Teda, where the Gufea Teda, the main points, was said already. Kibdavim, Shemitah Shabbos, they were said already in the Seder Sedibris. Karim Shlomim, Said in Pashva Yikra. 
What does it mean that most of the mitzvahs are tiluyin, are, in Yiddish the word is uphanging, are pending, depending on this Pasha? Reiv gufei teira. We could perhaps say it's a beautiful explanation. Rashi is emphasizing Reiv gufei teira tiluyin ba. Not that most of the Teda is said here, is mentioned here. This Pasha is not Mechadish any Gufi Teda, and doesn't give us any new news, any new Pashas. But rather, most of the Teda, as we mentioned until now, is totally in what's mentioned in Kedeshim. Because in this Dafka, in this Pasha, it explains how to be Mekayim the Tzivuyim say the way you need to do it. Do it right. Without actual enumerating the, enumerating the facts that are mentioned, that are added in this Pasha, one cannot get to the Gufei Teda, to the root, to the foundation of the mitzvahs. For example, in this parasha we find a new mitzvah. Not a new mitzvah, a new concept. We know that one needs to fear and to love and respect their parents. However, one would think that that mitzvah perhaps would push off Shabbos. If your parents, God forbid, tell you to desecrate Shabbos, you would think that perhaps the fear of your parents supersedes Shabbos, and therefore you would have to desecrate Shabbos. And therefore, Chas Hashem, a person be mechal Shabbos, desecrating Shabbos. This is the reason that it says here, this parasha was said in Hakel. Because this parasha tells us that one cannot desecrate the Shabbos, even for the parents to respect and fear, if it's not Pikuach Nefesh. And it was important. It was important because people were told and told so much about the Kibbedav, so much about how the respecting and fearing of the parents. People had it ingrained in them, and they could have, on the normal commonsensical way, say, you know what? If my father and my mother tells me to desecrate Shabbos, I would have to do it. And that would be wrong. And they would only find that out in Parashat Kedoshim. And it was an important message to, delay, to relay. So therefore Hashem said, I'm not waiting for it to go down the ranks. Until everybody gets to study the whole Teda. And here's the halacha that no, Chil Shabbos is not allowed even for Kibbidavim. So therefore this Pasha is mentioned during Hakel when everyone was there. And everybody heard it directly from the source. And everybody heard it immediately, so nobody came out to Chassel on the sin of Chil Shabbos. And that's why we say, Pasha Tuluyimba, the Gufetera Tuluyim in this Pasha, because they are pending, they are important for the person to know how to actually act and behave, and what they have to do and how they have to do it. back to this I tell a story of a nice fine rabbi back in I guess the Ukraine or Russia his name was Yitzchak Yoel I guess you figure out what where he came from with the name of Rafalovitz it was the time of the Rebbe Marash. Two people came to him with a litigation. A business investment they were making. They were taking on a partnership. And the laws of the land at the time were that if a person had 
a large amount of money dispute, it could not be done in a private business, it had to be done in the courts. It was a law. Any rabbi cast caught practicing this, going against this, heaven forbid. And these two litigants came before him, and they told him the story, and they said, listen, we're both good friends, we're honest, we're going into a business venture together, all is going to be beautiful. But just in case, Justin, just in case, do us a favor. Each one of us is going to put out a thousand rubles, which is a tremendous amount of money. We're going to leave by you the two thousand rubles, which was totally illegal. If heaven forbid, one side of the deal goes south, one of the partners does something wrong, the other partner can come collect. Well, he knew it was not the right thing to do in the courts. He knew, though, that this is a thing that has to be done with Vartera, with Dastera, and not something that should be litigated by Goyim. So he undertook the case, and he took the 2,000 ruble and put it away. Hashem helped. A few years went by, and one of the partners did a number on the first one. And he really took him to the cleaners. But the partner remembered original deal, with 2,000 rubles, these were there by the Rav. It was nowhere near the losses that he had suffered, but, hey, Mashu. So he came to the Rav, and he showed him the paperwork, he showed him what was done to him, and what happened to him. And the Rav investigated it, and found out that indeed it was true, and the partner indeed stole whatever did wrong on the deal, and rightfully, according to the deal that they had made with the Rav, in front of the Rav, this money now belonged to this fellow. And the Rav promptly produced the money and gave it to the man. Needless to say, I was so loser, who obviously was not a very honest, upright citizen, turned around with his part of the paperwork, which of course still said that the Rav had the money, etc. And also said that someone can collect on it, and therefore he knew because he did what he did, the Rav, the other guy's going to go collect on it. And upon hearing that he did indeed collect on it, the fellow went to the authorities, produced all the paperwork, and lo and behold, Rahman al-Tzlan, a subpoena was put out, and a short while later, the authorities showed up by his door, and they told him he has to appear, appear in court for this terrible, terrible sin. This is a terrible sin. This is a life imprisonment sin. This is a very big problem here. Vastutman. As he gets the news from this subpoena, his wife comes in. His pregnant wife, and she says to him, I didn't feel the baby. It's already a few days, I didn't feel the baby. I went to the doctor, the doctor said, he doesn't believe the baby's alive, he doesn't hear a heartbeat or anything, and they have to surgically remove the baby. Come on, let's not. Devout. How much can a person take? If it became a clap, if I mention cup, no. There's only one solution to this. Court has the papers, 100% down pat. His wife is telling him a horrific, horrific story. What solution is there? It's all lost. He's going to travel to the Reb Marash, the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe, and look for get a bracha. It's the only way, the only salvation.
And he travels to Lubavitch. And he comes to the Rebbe. And it's Wednesday night. There were no questions asked. People are waiting for weeks. They let him in. And he comes into the Rebbe and he tells him his whole plight about the dintera, about the money, this, and they're subpoenaing him not to court, and there's nothing to talk about. It's all, it's all true. And then he tells the Rebbe, he starts to cry and tells the Rebbe about his wife, Rechmanol's son. The Rebbe says, "Listen here, my friend. How long did it take you to get here? It's about two and a half days." It's Wednesday night, you can't go anywhere until tomorrow. It's Thursday, so it means you're not going anywhere before Shabbos. You have to be here Shabbos anyway. We'll talk after Shabbos. Chassid was shocked. But, the Rebbe said, the Rebbe said. And he goes to the Mishmedish and sits down and tries to learn... And needless to say, it was not easy to concentrate. It was not easy to devote himself to his learning, to his studies. Thursday, Friday, finally the Abish and he came into Shabbos. Shabbos is beautiful. Shabbos is serene. But, a cup of grapefruit just in the fridge. But, he was not at peace really. He couldn't find himself. He couldn't get, couldn't come to terms with himself. He's in trouble. And so the davening was, a davening, it was beautiful, it was inspiring with the Rebbe, but it was not what it should be. And then the Rebbe, Chazer Maima. And as hard as he tried to listen, as hard as he tried to concentrate on the words of the Rebbe, he was oblivious to what was going on. He could not absorb a single word. Ba'ayim, Matzah Shabbos, they let him into the Rebbe. Goes back into the Rebbe. Wow. The Rebbe tells him, I said a maimed today. I said, yes. Can you repeat it, please? Hmm. No. Rebbe, I was very, very tortured. I was very troubled about my problems. I honestly could not concentrate on the word that Rebbe was saying. So Rebbe said, there's a person, a bacha, who transcribes everything that I said. Go to him, make a copy, write it over in other words, and don't come back to me until you know this maimah by heart. He went out, he found the person, and he wrote over the maimah, and he sat down and he studied this maimah all night long. And when he finished studying this Hasidic discourse, Again, for a third time, he was allowed to the Rebbe. Unheard of. People waited for years to go in a second time. And here, within one weekend, he went in three times. The Rebbe said, repeat the Mimer, please. And he told him that I'm in word for word verbatim. And the Rebbe told him, okay, you're fine, you're in good shape now. The case will be fine. Your panasa will be fine. The baby will be fine. Gog is in the What? How? And the chassid picks himself up and he runs to the telegraph office and he sends a text to his wife. No, I don't think so. He sends a telegram to his wife saying that don't do anything about the baby. The Rebbe said the baby will be fine. I am going to Petersburg because that's where the case would be. He travels to Pittsburgh. Baruch Hashem, he had a good friend in Pittsburgh. And the friend said, sure, you'll stay by me. 
And in the evening he's sitting with his friend and he tells his friend his dilemma. In two days' time, he's being called to court. He doesn't know what the Rebbe's bracha means and how the Rebbe's bracha is going to come through. But bottom line, practically speaking, he's in pretty, pretty deep. Because the fact is that he needs to do something miraculous. And the man smiles and says, you're not going to believe this. I know a guy. Actually, he didn't know a guy, he knew a lady. We get our milk delivered every day from this very, very holy lady. And this holy lady delivers milk to the whole area here. And only two, three blocks away from here is your judge that's sitting on your case. And we know for a fact that this lady and the judge's wife are very good friends. And the judge's wife very often time asks advice from the lady. So listen, slushne, takshiv, skucha, herzu. Tomorrow morning early, when the milk lady shows up here, you and I will stand by the door waiting for him, and we will give a very tearful rendition of your situation. And she will definitely deliver this to the judge's wife, who in turn will get her husband's ear. And Ms. Vita, what can happen? No. Comes again, the next morning, the day before the trial, and the milk lady shows up. And the two of them stand there crying and bawling for their lives, for his life at least. And they tell her the story. This moved this milk lady very, very much. And she went a little, a little a few minutes later to the judge's house. And she was still in very, very high emotions from this. And as soon as the judge's wife opened the door, she burst out crying and she told the story as well. Oi, said the judge's wife. I don't know if she said oi. She's probably a Russian peasant. Anyway, whatever she said. She says, Segundit, one second, let me go tell my husband the story. And she comes to the husband, she sees, the, and the husband who knew the, the milk lady sees the milk lady with tears still streaming down her face, and hears out the story again, and he says, I don't know exactly what I could do, but let's see. The next day the judge comes to court, and he looks at his cases, and he sees this guy's case, and he says, Oy abroch. This guy's got a chance like a snowball in you know where. What's Tutman? Judge got a brainstorm. He took the case off the top of the pile, put it on the bottom of the pile. First things first. Started trying one case after another after another, the whole day's worth of tra- cases. And the violent, the prosecutor, and the witnesses are plotting. What's with our case? Where's our case? And their case was finally the be called. It was the last case. And the judge gives us that's with a hammer. Calling for a break. And the judge was known when he called for a 10 minute break, he usually came back 25 minutes later. But he has the right to do what he has to do. And he called for a break. As the judge is walking out, he passes by the prosecutor and the witness. He says, Oi, are you people stupid? I don't envy you. And he keeps walking. The prosecutor and the, 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 the witness started to shake in their boots. Did we forget something? Did we leave something behind? Prosecutor says to the witness, Come, let's go to my office. Usually the judge says 10 minute break. He usually takes 25 minutes. We've got to go through everything there, every paper, to make sure every I is dotted and every T is crossed. And they left. The judge came back in seven minutes. Instead of the usual 25, and instead of the prescribed 10, he came back in seven minutes. 
and he sat down and he opens the file he says next case and he says whose case it is and they called up hello who's this Okay, in five minutes I'll call you back. And he says, Prosecuting attorney and witness, please come forth. Hayel Veneno. Prosecuting attorney and... Where is he? He's not here? That's it. I'm furious. This is frustrating. This is ridiculous. This is not how you treat a court. He's not here. Boom! Case dismissed. Closed the clip, gives the the file, and gigs into hate. And he went home. Simcha v'tuv levol, like the Rebbe said, and his business prospered. And three day, three months later, the baby boy Gizuntahit was born. And all the brachas of the Rebbe were mekuyim. This week's pedik is pedik shlishi pekiyaves mishnah tes. The bechinim and deisayimer kol shiras chetik kedemis lachachmasay. Whoever's, whatever person fear comes before his wisdom, chachmosim is kayemis. But if someone's chachma goes before his fear of God, then the chachma does not have any, it will not endure. Fear of God refers to the self nullification of a person. Where a person puts himself to an extent where he says, I am nothing. And we do this only through davening. When we daven, we can reach to it, we can redefine the entire identity of a person. And taking the person's entire ego and just obliterating it. And thereby, he takes his inner I of his godly nature, and he takes it in hand. And this approach comes upon the horizons and ensures the person that his wisdom will endure. He's not going to view Taylor studies as just an abstract intellectual discipline, but as a godly truth. And this godly truth would permeate every dimension of his existence. And this approach will cause his terrible knowledge to be lasting forever because of the self-nullification, because of the bittle of the person, how one is mevatl themselves. And Saita really told, we're going towards the end of Perik Ravi, and there's not really much to delve into. It explains the last Mishnah, from the end of the Mishnah, Tan Rabbanan, Ashasista Isha, Tachas Isha. When a woman should go astray while under her husband's jurisdiction. And the Imara tells us the Hakish Ish the Isha Isha the Ish. This comes to compare the woman to a man and a man to a woman. Man to a woman, a woman to a man. Mara asks why and how? And if Shesh answers, if the man was blind, And he cannot say, I saw my wife do this, he cannot make her drink. And the same thing if she's blind, she does not drink, comparing the woman to the man. On the other hand, if the man is lame, if the woman is lame and has no hands, she does not drink because the tailor tells us that it needs to put it in her hand. And if she doesn't have hands, she can't drink. In that case, the same thing would also be with a man that is crippled and has no hands. He cannot make his wife to drink. So we see, therefore, the Tata is not using loopholes, but rather the Tata, the Gemara, is explaining to us how we need to have every point and every fact in the right place and in the right way, and thereby completing the Tata and its mitzvahs the way they should be, so that we can complete them, we have to have hands to do it, feet to do it, mouth to say it, ears to hear it, eyes to see it, and may we take a see it, and may we be zecha to the nevuah, 
and we should go this very Shabbos to Mashiach, to Kenu, in Shalayim, Shabbat Shalom to all.